0: Of the Son of God, Jesus the Messiah. And I am, I don't know about you, but I am pumped up about that. I have been celebrating all week the fact that Jesus Christ went to the cross and died for me so that I would not have to taste death for eternity, and neither would you. And He is risen. He is risen. And the fact that he is risen means that we have a faith that is based not just simply on hopes, not based on human ideas, not based on what somebody came up with as a religious system, but based on a historical fact of a man who came who proved by his words and by his actions and fundamentally by the resurrection that he was indeed who he claimed to be, the Messiah, the Son of God. And we look back on a historical fact, and we're going to look this morning at two. Jesus made ten post-resurrection appearances that are recorded for us in the Gospels and in the New Testament. But he probably made many more than that, but we have 10 that are recorded specifically for us to uh, understand that Jesus was indeed risen from the dead and he was seen by a number of people, hundreds of people, in fact, saw Jesus alive, raised from the dead. And we're going to look at two of them this morning. Uh, Luke chapter 24, Uh, these are uh, appearance number four and number five. We're going to look at. And as you make your way there, let me ask you a question. Have you ever been disappointed? You ever been disappointed? And I don't mean mildly disappointed, as in you went to Kroger's the other day and they were out of marshmallow peeps, you know? <laughs> mildly disappointed, right? Uh, or you went to the restaurant, you know? I, I, I had this happen to me one time. I went to went to longhorn steakhouse to get a steak and they were out of potatoes and i looked and i looked around at the waitress and i thought how is it you're out of potatoes there's a grocery store across the street that sells them go get some potatoes how do you out of potatoes at a steakhouse you know i was mildly disappointed but what I mean when I say, "Are you dis- have you ever been disappointed is, I mean, have you ever been just crushed by disappointment? Have you ever found out that the man or woman, perhaps, that you were deeply in love with is, in the words of that movie, just not that into you? If you've had that happen, you know what it's like to be Disappointed at a deep level. Or maybe you had a child who walked away from the faith or who got deeply enmeshed in sin and you're disappointed. Or maybe a special trip got canceled because of circumstances beyond your control. Maybe a job that you were up for a promotion on you didn't get, and someone else did, and you're disappointed, and your dreams are shattered, and your hopes were crushed, and you felt deeply, deeply disappointed and in pain. And as we, before we launch into this account, I want you to just hold on to that feeling. If you look back on one of those events in your life, just hold on to that feeling that that tightness in your gut that you feel, as, even as you look back on that. And then we're going to read this story. Luke chapter 24, beginning at verse 13. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened, and as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know these things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the, woman, the women had said, but him they did not see. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them, and when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Now, these two disciples have been prevented from recognizing Jesus as they walk along. Probably a part of that lack of recognition is the fact that God is wanting to reveal to them the fact of Jesus' resurrection a little at a time and have it come to them slowly, but some part of it is also probably due to the fact that they're not expecting Jesus to be there. They have witnessed Jesus be crucified, and they know that the Romans are expert at putting people to death. The Romans, at at various points, executed as many as 10,000 people in one day via crucifixion. They knew how to do it. And they have seen Jesus die and seen his body be taken down off the cross after being whipped and scourged and pierced and crowned with thorns, wrapped in a linen cloth and stuck in the tomb. They know that he is dead, and so they are not expecting to see him. And they're walking along this village, along out of Jerusalem, off to this village called Emmaus, a little town about seven miles outside of outside of Jerusalem. And I think you know what's interesting about that is the way the gospel. I I think this is this is important that we focus on the fact that they didn't recognize him, and they weren't expecting to see him, because it's. One of the reasons I happen to think the gospel writers are accurate in their accounts is this. If you are making stuff up, as some people accuse the gospel writers of having done, the one thing that you do not do is to cast doubt on the central claim of the book. And yet, over and over and over, as you read these accounts of Jesus' resurrection, you see Jesus' disciples confused, lacking in faith, lacking in belief, and lacking in even recognition that Jesus has risen from the dead, until all of a sudden, then they come to realize it. You don't do that if you're making it up, but you do record it that way if it's exactly what happened. And... So they're walking along, and they're taking this journey. It probably takes about two hours. If you walk four miles an hour, that's 15-minute miles. Uh, seven miles is about a two-hour walk if you're cruising along. And so as they're walking along, Jesus happens to come up next to them. Hey, guys, what are you talking about? Well, we're talking about what just happened in Jerusalem. Oh, What happened? And they they're kind of confused. How could you not know what has just happened? Because this is, what has happened with Jesus is the central event in these guys' lives, and so they say, "Are you just a visitor? You know, are you new to town?" Everybody knows what's happened. Jesus Christ, who was a mighty prophet in word and in deed, has been crucified by the chief priests and the, and the rulers and. It's three days since this has happened. Everybody's talking about this. How is it you don't know? And did you catch the note of disappointment in Clopas' voice? Look at verse 21. They crucified him, verse 20. But we were hoping. We had hoped. We had thought. We had believed that he was the Messiah, the one who was going to redeem Israel. How would you like that disappointment? These are guys who have followed Jesus for the last three years. They have, in many cases, left their jobs, left their family. They have turned over their entire life to Jesus and to be told, by the way, by all of the religious leaders of the entire nation that this guy is a heretic and a traitor and a liar and a deceiver. And anybody who follows him is also a heretic and a liar and a deceiver and a traitor. But they have sacrificed and have staked their entire life on the reality of the identity of Jesus Christ as being the Messiah, and they've watched him get killed. They have no category in which they have a dead Messiah. And so he says, we were hoping that he was the one. Obviously he can't be because he's dead. And then Jesus says something really interesting. He says, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe. That is something, if you trace that kind of expression back, you see Jesus say that over and over and over and over to his disciples. O ye of little faith, how foolish you are. Don't you understand the scriptures? And so he's talking to them just like he did before his death. they don't catch it yet that it's jesus who's speaking to them and so he's he's going to walk them through the whole the whole of scripture don't you understand that the scripture prophesied that this would happen and so he starts all the way back at the beginning and over the next two hours walks them through the whole of scripture and says look everything in the old testament points to me don't you understand Go back to Genesis chapter 3 at the fall in the garden, and God slaughtered an animal to clothe Adam and Eve and cover their shame. Don't you understand that Jesus is the animal by whose death your shame is covered? Don't you understand that when God spoke in the wilderness and he brought water from the rock, that Jesus was the water that came out of the rock that brings new life to people who are thirsty and dying? Don't you understand that when God was bringing the people out of Egypt, that he was the deliverer, that he was the Passover lamb who was slaughtered and his blood covers you so that God passes over your sin. Don't you understand that the sacrificial system was set up specifically so that you would see that through the blood of the lamb, your sin is covered and God makes atonement for you He pours out the blood of Jesus on his throne, and his blood covers over your sins so that the angels of God's holiness don't strike you dead for your sin. That as those angels look down, they see the blood of Jesus and you are not killed because God has made atonement for you through the Messiah who was to come. Don't you understand that Moses spoke about a prophet like me who would come and who would reveal all things and Jesus was that prophet. Don't you understand? Don't you understand that Jesus was the scapegoat every year on the Day of Atonement on Yom Kippur, his sins were laid on that goat. The sins of the entire nation were named over that goat, and then that goat was taken out of the camp, just like Jesus. And, his, and the sins of the people were carried away from them. Don't you understand that Jesus is the prophet? greater than all the prophets. He's the one the prophets, in fact, wrote about. He was the suffering servant of Isaiah. He was the humble king riding in on a donkey of Zechariah. He is the one that the forerunner announced, according to Malachi. He is the Messiah born in Bethlehem of the line line of David that Micah predicted. Don't you understand that everything in the Old Testament points to Jesus? Even the layout of the temple itself. As you go through the altar, past the basin, into the Holy of Holies, and you see on either side the table and the lamp, the altar of incense going right to the throne, you've got the cross laid out in the temple itself. Don't you understand that everything points to Jesus? And all of a sudden, they start to get it. And they get to Emmaus, And they say, hey, you know, why don't you come? In a two-hour conversation, they've never asked the guy his name. I find that just fascinating. Who are you? Where do you come from? They've never asked. But they say, come and stay with us. Eat with us. Spend the night. And then Jesus does something interesting. They've just seen this happen a few nights previous. And Jesus breaks bread with them. And as he does, I think they see what's right here at his wrists, which is scars where those nails went through. And they realize it's Jesus. He really is alive. He's raised from the dead, just like the women said. Now you may find it interesting that they didn't believe the women. Okay. <laughs> You have to understand something cultural about these fellas. In those days, you had to have two women in in, in order to have their testimony count the same as one man in a court. Now, it's a cultural deal. I'm not going to apologize for it. That's just the way that it was. But over and over again, this is one of the reasons I think that the Gospels are accurate in what they describe. Because in all of the Gospels, it's women who see Jesus first. And in that culture, that wouldn't have been the way you would do it if you were making it up. You'd have had the first witnesses be men. But the first witnesses are not men. They're women. And these guys realize it's Jesus. Hey, the women were right. Shazam. (laughs) Okay. And they beat feet back to Jerusalem to go find the other disciples and tell them. And when they get there, this is what they find. They got up and returned, verse 33, at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true. The Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said, peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they, had, they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts arise in your mind? Look at my hands and feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they, were, while they still did not believe it, because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? and they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. These two disciples run off to Jerusalem. I bet they make the return trip a bit quicker. The text says that they meet up with the eleven. Now, we know from John's gospel that Thomas is not there at the first appearance. And so, the the term the eleven refers to the disciples with the exception of Judas, but we also know that Thomas is not there. But it's a collective term that's used to refer to these guys who were still alive after Jesus' crucifixion. Uh, And Clopas and his buddy run in, and they find these ten guys all talking excitedly. Well, he appeared to Simon... He must be alive. He must be. It must really be true. And then these two guys come in. He is alive. We saw him. He was, we were just with him. On the road to Emmaus, he appeared, and he talked with us, and he opened the Scripture to us. And can you just imagine what this would be like that you realize, I have not been a fool to have followed Jesus and acknowledged him as Messiah. And he is alive. He is risen. And in fact, the whole Bible points to him, and we didn't know it, but look at how it does. Blah, 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 And here they go, right? And they're off to the races talking. And just as they get to going really well, who should show up but Jesus? And he stands among them. And, you know, the funny thing that always happens whenever somebody sees Jesus post-resurrection or when an angel shows up in the Scriptures, the first thing they always say is, Peace be with you or don't be afraid. <laughs> okay, because this is not a normal deal. And he says, "Peace be with you," and everybody uh, freaks out. And they think it's a ghost. It scares them. And Jesus says, "Look, it's me. See? Look here. See my hands? See where the where the nail went through? See my feet?" It's me. I'm alive. And you can touch me and see that I have a body, a resurrected body. I still bear the scars of my crucifixion, but now they are not wounds, they are trophies. Touch me. See that I'm real. I've risen from the dead. And they're still shocked, they still don't believe. Again, how do we know the gospel accounts are true? Well, one of the reasons that I think counts in their favor as being true is that even then, they're still going, I don't know, (laughs) this is pretty weird. I've never seen, this has never happened to anybody we know who got killed like that. That just doesn't occur. And they're shocked and they're overjoyed and they're amazed. And Jesus says, look, I'll prove it to you. I'm really alive. Give me something to eat. And he takes a piece of broiled fish. A lot of these guys are fishermen. They knew how to catch fish. He takes a piece of broiled fish and he eats it with them. And then he talks to them. And they understand. Jesus is the Messiah risen from the dead. And he says to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Remember all that bit about Destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise again. No sign will be given to the nation of Israel except the sign of Jonah, just as Jonah was three days in the belly of the fish. Remember how the law and the prophets points to Jesus. Just as Jonah was three days in the belly of the fish, so I will be three days in the belly of the earth, and then I'll rise again. Remember I told you that. Everything must be fulfilled, written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. And then he opened their minds so they could understand the Scripture. He told them, this is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power on, from on high. And so Jesus walks all of them through the Old Testament again. And he says, remember how David wrote Psalm 22 about being encircled and having people cast lots for his clothes and how he says, I can count all my bones, my Bones are out of joint, and dogs encircle me and mock me. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. David was writing that, but he was prophesying about me, the greater son of David who would suffer in exactly that way. Remember that Jonah was three days in the belly of the fish, and I told you I'm going to be three days in the earth. And then I'm going to rise. Just like Jonah came out of the fish, I'm going to come out of the ground. Remember, I told you. And all of a sudden, then, they're able to understand that everything that was written in the past was written specifically to point to Jesus. To reveal him as being the Messiah. So that those who had eyes to see and ears to hear could identify him. He is the one that Daniel said in the 69th week of Israel from the construction of, the, temp, of the, the rebuilding of the temple until the coming of Messiah when he is cut off in the 69th week. Daniel prophesied to the very day that the Messiah would die. He had it exact. How do you do that, incidentally? Well... You listen to the voice of the living God who knows exactly what day the Messiah will die. And he opens their minds and they understand the scriptures. And then he says, now look, you have a job and your job is to be my witnesses of these things that all of the Old Testament points to me and it was fulfilled in me and the Christ had to suffer just as I did, and he had to rise again, just like the Scripture said that he would, that you will not let your Holy One see decay, as the psalmist wrote. And he had to rise, and you're to be my witnesses, not of, these, of this fact, of to proclaim as we're doing today. The fact that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, who died on the cross for sin and was raised from the dead. Hallelujah. Amen? Hallelujah. He is the Son of God. And he says, look, you, and he's talking to all his disciples, you're to be my witnesses. So guess what? You and me get the privilege of announcing and celebrating the fact that the Savior is risen. And he says, look, you're to preach the gospel in Jesus' name to all nations. All, the word there is ethne, all the ethnic groups all over the whole world. So Tajiks and Uzbeks and Mongols and Chinese and Thai and Sudanese, and whoever, everybody needs to know the greatest news that has ever happened, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who died on the cross for sin and was raised from the dead. Let me, as we close here, as I wrap up, let me do what Jesus said, to preach repentance and the forgiveness of sin through faith in Jesus Christ. Last Friday was Good Friday. The reason it is Good Friday instead of Black Friday is this, that this is the day when Christ died for my sin and for yours. And his, his payment was accepted because God raised him from the dead. How do we know that his payment was accepted? Because of the resurrection, because of today. I deserve to die and be separated from God in hell forever. Now, if you read the latest issue of Time Magazine, the April 24th edition, they will tell you there is no hell, so you don't need to worry about it. Okay, But here's what Jesus said. Jesus said that those who reject him will be cast into the outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth forever and ever. And that between those in paradise and between those in torment, there is a great gulf fixed so that no one can get from one side to the other. The most acidic, acerbic, Vocal preacher on hell in the entire Bible is not John the Baptist, it's not Paul, it's not in the Old Testament, it's from the lips of Jesus. And Jesus came to save human beings, you and me, from God's wrath that we deserve in hell. And God, on the cross of Calvary, poured out all of the wrath that we deserved on His Son. And Jesus, while that was happening, prayed, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. They don't know that they are killing the one you put in their place. Father, forgive them. God sent his son for you and for me because he loved us and didn't want anybody ever to have to suffer his wrath. And so he pours out his wrath on his son. We deserved the penalty. Jesus paid it on our behalf. He took the licks that we earned. He died the death that we deserved. So that you and I could be adopted, as the book of Hebrews talks about, into the family of God. And that Jesus would call you and I brother and sister. I don't know what kind of a being it is who, while we are murdering his son, uses that event to bring forgiveness of the sin, including that one, to all humanity. But that is the God that we serve. That is the God that we honor. And so Jesus says we are to go into the world and tell people, repent, of your sin and receive forgiveness now what that means is real simple and i'll close it's like this you are going this way going your own way away from god and in rebellion against him and then when you repent you turn around and you turn back toward god and repentance is the turning around part and faith is what you're turning toward And you are turning toward God and placing your trust in Him. That Jesus Christ paid your sin debt and and suffered the death that you deserved to bring you into relationship with God. And He grants you in your faith, in your act of repentance and trust, He grants you the right to be called His child forever and ever. Now, that is something to celebrate. I don't know if you got anything better than that. If you got it, I want to hear about it because this is the best news that there ever has been. This is as good as it gets. This is the God who, in his holy love, hates sin but loves you and sent his son for you. And so if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you are someone who by repentance and faith has trusted in him, then we ought to celebrate and shout hallelujah every day because this is the Savior who died for me. And we ought to therefore share that message with everybody. You can bet that these boys couldn't shut up after this. In fact, you had to put them in prison to get them to shut up, and and when they put them in prison, they converted the prisoners. Why? Because they knew that Jesus was raised, and that had changed everything. And we ought to have that same joy and amazement and excitement that Christ, 2,000 years later, is still saving people like you and me. And if you are not a believer in Jesus Christ, if you have never turned from following your own way back toward Jesus and received forgiveness of your sins, let me invite you today, while it's called today, while it's Resurrection Sunday, that there's no time like the present to place your trust in Jesus Christ. We don't know how long we've got. We all assume we've got until our 80s. But the reality of it is, is that a lot of times people check out sooner than they were expecting. And you don't want to stand before God and face his judgment. Because here's the reality. Somebody is going to cry out, I thirst. Either Jesus on the cross on your behalf or you in hell for all eternity. Somebody is going to cry out. And Jesus, because he loves you, would much rather it be him than you. So I invite you repent, trust in Jesus, turn and receive the forgiveness that he offers to you freely and, and the welcome into his family forever and ever. Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, I thank you that we have so much to celebrate. We have so much over which we can shout hallelujah and praise God. Father, I thank you for the risen Savior who died on a cross in my place, who tasted death on Friday night and Holy Saturday, and who got up out of the ground on Sunday announcing victory over death. Where, O death, is your victory? Where is your sting? It is embedded in the one who died for me. And now death itself is put to death in the suffering and death of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Father, I pray this morning that if anyone has never believed that message and received a rich welcome into the kingdom of God's dear Son, that today would be the day that they do so. And Father, for those of us who know Jesus, who are witnesses with the apostles of the resurrected Son of God, Father, I pray that we would be passionate about that message, about proclaiming it to all and sundry that we meet, that there would not be a nation around the world, no ethne, who has not heard that Jesus Christ has come. He has died for us and been risen from the dead to offer us new life. And Father, I pray that all would find new life today. In Jesus' name, amen.